Working Class Audio is made possible by the support of Cali Audio, DistroKid, Sampley Audio, Audio Technica, Gearspace, and Grace Design. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 265. Working Class Audio. Navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 265 you're listening to. My guest today is Alex Awana, who is the creator and co-founder of Audio Test Kitchen. Alex started out as a musician, and he became a recording engineer and producer, and eventually found his way into pro audio sales and marketing and designs and product development. You might know Audio Test Kitchen. It is the way currently you can test 250 large diaphragm condenser mics in a very scientific way based on the way Alex and his team have developed this, this website. So... Very excited to have Alex on. We've known each other for quite some time since uh, Potluck Audio, Tape Op Con days. So uh, super happy to have him on. He has made an appearance in the past briefly to talk about Audio Test Kitchen, but today we're going to have a dedicated interview just for Alex. How about that? Alex Awana coming up here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Grab your coffee cups, friends. Let's reflect on the past week. Well, I have to tell you, I was completely blindsided by the death of Neil Peart. I had no idea that he had brain cancer. And, uh, you know, it really brought a tear to my eye to hear of his death. I just was stunned. Now, whether you're a casual Rush fan, a hardcore Rush fan, or you are a person who liked to mock Rush, at the end of the day, my friends, that man was a cool human being. Uh, he seemed very thoughtful. He was an intellectual within the rock community. He influenced so many people in so many different ways. And uh, he will be missed. And I think we will all just say that he is one of the best drummers in rock history, period. I mean, there was no, uh, nobody else like him. The care that he put into his craft was unmistakable. Just a real outstanding musician, human being. And I have to admit, it really brought a tear to my eye when I learned about it. I almost started just full-on crying over it. I just was stunned because of what a great loss it is. So I will miss Neil Peart. And uh, it, uh, you know, like every death in music, I think it causes us to go back and revisit the catalog and kind of take a second look at, especially lyrically speaking, what Neil was saying in, in those songs. So I was not a hardcore Rush fan. I saw them twice. I saw them on the, uh, uh, the Signals tour and the Grace Under Pressure tour. And at that point, I kind of, you know, lost interest in following them because I was following other musical things that were catching my attention. But Rush always played a part in my musical history and probably the musical history of many of you. So raising a coffee cup to Mr. Neil Peart, rest in peace, sir. You were just an outstanding human being and I will miss you. Um, moving on, on a positive note, uh, I had a great session this weekend that I, I'm dying to tell you all about. And I'll, I'll even gush a little bit on the gear, which I know I never do. 
Uh, I recorded a 20-piece big band in a middle school band room. Uh, there was two band rooms, so I was able to separate myself, create a separate control room. And I took with me the sound devices Scorpio. They lent that to me. And it's a monstrosity that just can record an ungodly amount of inputs at once. And uh, I chose to use the 16 inputs that were just you know immediately available to me. So we just recorded a 20-piece band with 16 mics. And oh my God, it turned out great. It was, uh, it was pretty unbelievable. And uh, I was joined by Anne-Marie Plo, who edits the show. Anne-Marie did a fantastic job uh, keeping track of stuff that uh, I wasn't keeping track of. So thank you, Anne-Marie. Yeah, it was pretty fantastic. So we just, uh, you know, had 16 inputs. So, you know, with uh, bass, uh, drums, piano, guitar, saxes, trumpets, trombones, with a tuba in, mixed in there. I just put stereo pairs in front of all the horns and into, you know, three mics on the drums, kick and a couple overheads, single mic on the uh, on the upright bass, single mic on the guitar amp and a stereo pair on the piano. And then uh, a couple uh, AEA A440s as room mics and boom, that was great. And middle school band room, who would have thunk, right? But this is a big room. It's uh, where my... Um, kids go to school and my youngest does band and I thought this is a great place to make a big band record so we did and now I just got to mix it and uh, former WCA guest David Glasser is going to master it and uh, I will share links when it's available and when it's done but uh, really proud of it really excited about how the basic tracking turned out the Scorpio thing worked out it was a little unusual way of recording we could have gone straight to Pro Tools but we chose to do it this way. We recorded to the Scorpio, and then while the band was in between songs, we would transfer over to a Pro Tools rig. Anne-Marie would start prepping and getting all the files in place in Pro Tools while I shifted the Scorpio back to recording the next batch of songs. And It was a crazy little system, but it really worked out well. Remote recording in middle school band rooms. That's, that's what this weekend was about. All right, so I want to remind you that this is the week of NAM, NAM 2020, Anaheim, California. I will be a part of a panel called The Power of Podcasting. This is Friday, Friday at 10 a.m., and this is going to be in the Anaheim Hilton, and it's going to be on Level 2, California Ballroom A. I'll put a link in the show notes, but it's Friday, so I hope you'll come and join us. It uh, is a panel about podcasting, obviously, and our friend Larry Milburn from Roadie Free Radio from that podcast will be moderating. I'll be on the panel. Chris Graham from Six Figure Home Studio will be there. My brother from another podcast, Lid Shaw, Recording Studio Rockstars, will be there, and former WCA guest Fela Davis. The Art of Music Tech will be there, and we will be talking all things podcasting. So if that interests you, come on over, say hello. It's a quick one-hour panel, and it'll go fast, and I'm sure all of us can make ourselves available for questions afterwards. And if you just want to come and hang out and say hi and uh, have a quick sit-down afterwards for a cup of coffee, if we can figure that out, let's do it. Come on over and say hi. We'll be, once again, in the Anaheim Hilton at uh, Level 2 California Ballroom A. That's Friday, the 17th of September, 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Yeah. So there it is. NAM 2020.
Most of you already know about Grace Design and have known about them for years. Uh, they've been around since 1994. It was started by the two brothers, Michael and Eben Grace, who still run the company to this day. And you already know that they make incredible sounding products for us all. What you might not know if you don't know them is that Michael and Eben are two of the nicest people on the planet. Easily approachable, very knowledgeable. You might have met them at a trade show and experienced this. Without a doubt, it's one of my favorite companies out there in the world of pro audio. You might have heard me a few times talking about the Grace 908 Atmos controller. I think the most elegant solution, if you're going to be doing Atmos, that is the best solution out there, as far as I'm concerned, hands down. And prior to that, I was using the Stereo 905 controller for many years. Not only that, but most recently, I have used their 108 mic pre's to do the Room 219 combo jazz record that you might have heard me talk about. The point is, is that they check all the boxes for me. They're incredibly nice people. They make incredibly great products. They're located here in the United States in Lyons, Colorado, and employ a number of people. They're the epitome of a small business here in the U.S., and I just love that whole thing. So if you are in the market for mic preamps or instrument preamps or monitor controllers, this is the company to check out hands down. If you don't know about them, go to gracedesign.com, check them out. And if you're in the market for any of those products, you absolutely have to consider what they offer because what they offer is superior build quality and sound quality. And those of you who bought their products in the 90s that are still using them, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So check them out, gracedesign.com. I know the business of audio is a frustrating one sometimes. The audio part's pretty, pretty fun, but it's the business of it and the career part of it that's a little challenging to many of us. I can completely empathize with that. And if you thought to yourself, God, I wish I could talk to somebody about this, you can do that. You could talk with me about it. As a matter of fact, you can book me for a coaching and consulting call over Zoom very simply. Just head on over to workingclassaudio.com. If you click on the menu button at the top of the menu, there is a link that says coaching and consulting with Matt. Super simple. Click on the link, book me in for an hour on a Zoom call, and we will discuss your particular situation and I will help you get refocused, re-inspired, and figure out what is the best path forward for you. If your situation requires a little more extensive conversation, we can absolutely book a series of calls and, like I say, get you focused and get you moving forward. I've been there, and when you don't have anybody to talk to about it, it's a little frustrating. So head on over to workingclassaudio.com, click on the menu button, and book yourself in for a Zoom call with me. And we can sit down and chat, coffees in hand, ready to tackle the business of audio together. All right, let's get to it. Let's talk to Alex Lawana here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Alex, welcome to the podcast. This is a dedicated interview for you, whereas you made a kind of a pit stop interview. I think it was not last, was it last year? I think it was last year. A year minus two weeks ago. At NAM, kind of officially announcing Audio Test Kitchen and talking a little bit about it. Obviously, some things have changed since. It's taken on a life of its own and it's grown. So we're going to talk about that. But anyhow, welcome. It's good to have you here on the show. Thank you, Matt. It's it's a pleasure to be with you and to be with your audience. I am one of your audience. I know. I'm one of the individuals out there who really appreciates what you do and what you bring to us and and all the things that your guests share. And 
I'm happy to share what I can and hopefully some people can relate to what we're talking about. Well, and uh, we'll talk about Audio Task Kitchen in a bit. That, of course, is an important part of your life right now. I also want to kind of hit the audience to who you are and where you've been. You've done some really incredible things and you've definitely uh, gone through some challenges and you're out there trying and I and I really admire you for that. You've you've definitely put yourself out there and they say that if you're not failing, you're not trying. So we want to talk about some of that. First, I just want to let the audience know, Alex and I, I think it was originally, once again, Alex is another example of somebody I met at the Potluck Audio Conference in Tucson. And that's been quite some time. I can't even count the years. That's probably, I'm going to just throw it out there and say it's what, like, I don't know, 15 years maybe? Yeah, I think it's coming up on that. The first one I went to was 2006 okay. um, in Tucson. Were you a panelist already back then? Yeah, I had kind of inserted myself through my relationship with Craig Schumacher as a moderator primarily. Oh, right. Yes. You are a, a deeply experienced moderator. That's a tradition uh, or a role that you have carried on in, in many fora since that time. Is that right? Yeah. I've always jumped on board for that because, you know, I'm not a household name to many people. So I found that my talents were best served as asking the questions and uh, getting people to answer them. So obviously that worked out for this podcast. <laughs> You know, I've always been curious about that. Matt, can I ask you a question? How much preparation would you do? Like if you had five guests on your panel, how much would you dig into their bios to prepare your questions? If I know nothing about them, I do what everybody else does. I Google them. I just start assembling a mental dossier of who they are and where they've been and finding the key points in their their careers and lives that I think are fascinating. And then I start to dissect them right in front of them and asking them about those certain things. What kind of like embarrassing or nightmare experiences have you had as a moderator? I don't know if I've had any... Like uncooperative guests? Well, I have had, I've definitely been on panels where you've got some strong personalities and the potential chaos that ensues has to be placed in check. I've had... Stephen Slade and Vance Powell on the same panel at a potluck audio conference in the past, and it was a little fun. That might have been while I was actually vice president at Slate. So I was, I think I convinced Stephen to come to that one. <laughs> and he was a little, little hesitant to come, but I, I just described, you know, the hang at the pool in the evening, and he, so he was in. I, want, I do want to dig into that with you a bit, but just really briefly, can you give my audience a, a, a brief overview of audio for you? Like, how did audio enter your world, professionally speaking? You've made records, you've done recordings. Yeah, I think like a lot of people, there's a moment where you get bit by the audio or the music bug. And I was I was a little kid when I got freaked out by audio and I didn't really distinguish it as a thing, as a possible career. I was just, I would play around with a record player and a turntable and my dad's speakers and stereo and so I studied piano for a little bit. I was in choir in college. I was in a couple of bands, but it was the moment when I saw some of my classmates at St. Olaf College, the small liberal arts school that I went to in Minnesota, dragging around some PA equipment, cleaning up after a concert. And I was like, what is that? And what are you doing? And they're like, well, we're, it's our job on campus. So they would get paid like officially through the college to set up gear and take down gear. And I was like, I want to do that because previous to that, I got bit by the hi-fi bug like in 
grade school and high school. So I was all into reading about stereo systems and collecting the best components I could. And, and you know, there's a lot of relation between the hi-fi world and the pro world when you get into specifications of speakers and amplifiers and frequency responses and dynamics and amplifier slew rates and efficiency, listening rooms. And oftentimes in the back of these home audio and hi-fi magazines, they would have a album review section. And I remember specifically, that's the first time I encountered this word production. Like they would say, and the production value on this on this recording was excellent. And I was like, production value. I think that means the sound. I think that's the thing that they're talking about that totally gets me, you know, because there, there's some albums that just changed my life. Peter Gabriel So, produced by Daniel Lanois. It's when I connected the dots between the liner notes of that record, produced by Daniel Lanois, and the back of these hi-fi magazines, excellent production value, that the light bulb went off. And I'm like, oh, production. Oh, that's like mixing consoles and studios and microphones. And so at this moment in college where I saw as a freshman, my peers around me moving this audio equipment around the, you know, for the PA, for the, the show, I was like, that's what I want to do. So I did everything I could to get on that team and get hired officially by the college to so that I could mess around with the PA gear. So that's where it all began. Yeah. So I, my career actually started in live sound, but as soon as I possibly could. See, I didn't want all that work that, that goes into putting on a show to just <laughs> evaporate at the end of the night. I mean, the band, the final chord rings out and the, the house lights go up and it's, it's gone, <laughs> you know? I was not satisfied with only having a memory of that. I wanted to capture it and to hold on to it forever and to be able to examine it. And and so it was really early into my live sound work that I grabbed a, a buddy's cassette deck and I got some friends of mine who incidentally we ended up collaborating for the next, well, we're still collaborating. Some of my college roommates and, and dorm mates ended up after college getting signed on a label and we did a bunch of records together, but they were the first people I made a recording with back in college. So as a freshman in college, I was doing live sound, but also recording whenever I could. And then fast forward to me getting a small house in Minneapolis in the early nineties. And it turns out that this house near the University of Minnesota in a little spot called Dinky Town was the home in the 1970s to Twin Tone Records. Hmm. And Twin Tone is famous for a group called The Replacements. Probably that's what they're best known for. So The Replacements came out with an album called Let It Be. Yes, same title as the famous Beatles record in 1984, I think. And so that record was done in, in the house that I eventually bought in the early 90s. So I, I lived there, I worked there, had tons of bands record with me over the next decade. And that's where I really learned production and engineering. And it was great to have my own space, but at the same time, there were some really, really great other studios in town. There was a, an SSL room where I could go mix. There was an API room with tons of vintage gear where I could track. And there was a uh, pretty well-renowned studio in Cannon Falls, Minnesota called Pachyderm, where Steve Albini has worked. And it's, it's a Neve room just south of Minneapolis. So we had access to like all the cool vintage gear and the most marquee, famous consoles. And so I really, from a really early age or really early place in my career, had access to like the classic gear and all those classic tones. And I don't know if you've had this experience. I think most 
audio people and musicians, you know, when you hear something, you, you kind of lock it into your ears, memory temple, and you forever like have that sound memorized. So really being totally immersed in vintage gear and tape machines and these classic consoles, it really made an impression on my ear and was very formative for me early on in my career. You have worked for Vintage King, you've worked for Stephen Slate, and uh, now you have your own company. Where did the world of business and audio kind of come together for you? Where did the idea of working for some of these companies come from? That is such a great question. Business never really occurred to me as I was a engineer and record producer. I was I was naive to it other than like, okay, well, how much will you pay me to, to make your record? And how much gear will I be able to buy after we're done making it? <laughs> <You know? laughs> that, that was basically it, man. And can I pay my rent? So it, it wasn't until I got hired by Vintage King, that was around 2009. I had been writing for Pro Audio Review and some magazines. And they had this deep background with vintage gear and recording and producing. So they really wanted me to bring that expertise to, to their clientele in, in sales. And so it was as soon as I kind of saw under the hood of, oh, there's a manufacturer over here and they make a thing for 500 bucks. And then they sell it to a distributor for $750. And then that distributor sells it to the retailer for $1,000. And then the retailer sells it to the customer for $1,300. You know, I was like, whoa, oh my God, I see how it all works now, you know? <laughs> so uh, that was the first moment I kind of realized, oh, the, the, the business behind it. And now as an owner of a company and understanding margins, and although we don't make widgets to sell, when I was at Slate, we did, I created this product called the Raven, which is a, a touchscreen. And I was also in charge of the figuring out the supply chain and how to, how to build these things at the best possible, lowest possible cost so that we could pass on an affordable product to people and make this really cool technology that we had created actually accessible. So there's a lot that goes into the creation and delivery of a product to a market. And just knowing that behind the scenes stuff makes me appreciate it all the more. I mean, before I ever created a product, I was a total product designer fanboy. I remember going to my first NAM, and just when I walked down that row of like the, the boutique manufacturers, you know, like the Jonathan Little and of Little Labs and Manly and you name it, these are the people and the products that I just idolized. And so to finally be able to to make one myself, but also like there's there's so much that goes into it. I mean. I think of product designers and manufacturers like a songwriter or like a band. They think of and create a product and that's that's their song. They release it out into the world and and then they've got to promote it and they've got to sell it. But that's that's their baby, you know, that's their that's their creation that they put out there. What did you learn from I mean, Vintage King and and Steven Slate or Slate as a company those are some pretty significant companies in the world of pro audio in our in our little sphere. So what are some of the takeaways about, about anything, whether it's business or life or audio or just an attitude about how to approach the things you love? What did you take away from those two companies? So, yeah, really interesting. Very different things. Vintage King, while I was there, was helmed by one of the co-founders. So the brothers... 
Mike and Andrew Nera. And Mike was head of sales and he's just a really inspiring leader. And I think oftentimes a company is really shaped in the image of its founder. So in this case, you know, Mike was very into personalized service, very into making sure his clients, his customers were getting exactly what they needed and getting the best kind of information and getting the best, uh, the best of everything. And then also on the other side of that, you know, you can't provide that level of service, that level of expertise and, and that quality in terms of product without getting the value back for that. And the value is dollars. So he also taught us to value what you're giving. And it can be really challenging in a sales situation, especially when people are shopping competitively or they have, you know, there's so many different retail opportunities now for folks. When you're shopping on price, sometimes you if you find the person who's willing to give you the lowest price, you might be making a compromise. And so one thing that Mike Nera and Vinish King taught me was to, to definitely value what you deliver and be willing to ask for what that's worth. So I think especially for artists, that can be challenging. And I definitely have, in a lot of ways, the heart of an artist as an engineer and producer and who started out as a musician, I think it can be hard to say, yeah, you know, this is what I'm worth. And I think part of the challenge there, Matt, is that in the back of our minds, I would bet in the back of a lot of people's minds, it's like, there's some self-doubt. And there's that thing that, like I, that would happen to me, I would think to myself, well, you know, what right do I have to charge this when, you know, there's that guy over there who, man, he's, he's perfect. <laughs> you know, like if they worked with that guy, that would be amazing. I just, and I, I, I definitely want to get this gig. And all the while this group or this band is, is approaching me because they love what I do, self doubts and all. And I think it's really important for everybody to be cognizant of no matter what seat you're in, whether you see somebody, hear somebody on a podcast, see somebody on a video, you're listening to Matt Boudreau as the host of this in, incredible, informative podcast. If, if you're seeing a guy at the head of a company like Stephen Slate, who in his infomercials and his sales pitch, if you see somebody who makes a product, see somebody who is, who writes songs and puts them out there, guaranteed every one of those people has self-doubt. And every one of those people, everybody has their own struggle. I just want people to, to just to not feel alone. You have your own vision. I have my own vision and there's a path to get there. The thing that we all have in common about that path is some things come easy to people and some things are, are more challenging, like that worth thing. What right do I have to ask for anything, to ask for money, to ask for help, to ask people to, to be a part of my journey? So I know I've been talking about this for a minute. Matt, I, I want to ask you, what's going on in the background of your mind? What challenges are going on in the background for you as you are pursuing your vision, say like in creating and delivering this podcast? Oh, what are you doing for the next two hours? <laughs> <laughs> bring it on. Well, it's interesting you bring up the self-doubt thing. What you're saying about the people you see out there, whether it's 
you've been out there on video and, and other podcasts and people not only know about your new company, Audio Test Kitchen, but they've seen you doing work for VK and doing work for Slate. And I think in general, those who have not got up to a certain level with their desires of their own career, no matter what it is, and let's just stick to the pro audio sphere for now, they see folks like us and they think, oh man, the grass is really green over there. Those guys are really knocking it out of the park. But in reality, as you said, there's, there is a lot of self-doubt. There's a lot of imposter syndrome. There's a lot of what should I be doing kind of a thing. And with regards to the behind the scenes of this, I mean, God, Alex, there's days I get up and I don't want to do it straight up. I just, I think. Yeah. Or your body doesn't want to do my, it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think I was sick throughout the uh, holiday season a bit, not entirely, but for a big chunk of it. And I'm still kind of getting over it. And I went through a little period there where my motivation just went away for everything. I don't know why. I'm going to tell you that it was because I wasn't drinking my regular amount of coffee, but, <laughs> and, and I'm, and that's changing. And so I'm, I'm picking it up again, but any of this shit is hard, whether you're running a studio or you're doing a podcast, or you're trying to start up an audio company and you're trying to make connections and open doors and it's hard. And you have to change your mentality in a big way. You have to find some serious motivation about why you're doing this and how you're doing it. Not only the, the motivation for yourself, but it's like you got to get over the hump of, of that imposter syndrome. There's, God, there's a lot of other podcasts out there. Bobby Osinski, Lid Shaw doing Recording Studio Rockstars, uh, Chris and Brian doing Six Figure Home Studio. I could keep going. There's a ton of other shows out there. And sometimes I, I look at what they're doing and I, and I think, God, those guys are doing it so much better. And I have to stop that because I, and all of you out there, you have to stop, stop comparing yourself. Find the vision that it is you want to do and run with it. Don't try to emulate what everybody else is doing. I think that's a big mistake. And it was reinforced recently by an article I'm going to link to in the show notes. It's in Inc. Magazine. The article is titled 34 Things You Need to Give Up to Be Successful. And that doesn't mean sacrifices. It means change in behavior. So I'm, I'll share that not only with you, Alex, but with the audience in the show notes. You know, I could keep going, but basically I think you and I are, are very much alike in that we're driven people, but at the same time, we go through these moments of like, am I doing the right thing? Am I spending my time like I should be spending it? And the fact that we're both parents, I think adds to the anxiety because we want the best for our kids. And that can mean not only making smart decisions about our kids' well-being based on our business decisions and our artistic decisions, but it can also raise the questions of, are the sacrifices I'm making to be away from the kids, like going to NAM, I'm going to be away from the kids. Is that a smart move? Should I be at home? All this stuff hit, hits me on a daily basis. So I want to make sure we come back to a word that you mentioned, motivation. My thought as you were describing, Matt, some of the things that go on in your head and those moments of uncertainty and in-between inspiration and feeling unmotivated is that each of us is a unique science experiment. Each of us is our own Petri dish. I have had to I mean, over the course of decades, figure out kind of what works for me. And so, for example, I've found that there's certain routines that if I stick to it, 
my life is so much better. And the self-doubt and the finding the motivation and finding the energy comes so much more easily. Like it might be there in the background or I might forget about it. And for me, it's really simple. If I exercise every day, if I start my day, especially with exercise, that just changes who I am, like at the most basic level. Like if I have a handful of spinach, it's like brain crack to me. Within moments of chewing it in my mouth, it's like all of a sudden I'm like, whoa, yeah, I can think again. You know, like, and so what I would encourage people to do is, is to start treating yourself like a science experiment. Find your own unique formula for what works for you to make the most of, of your life. I mean, I would bet there's nobody out there who wants to make the least of their existence. I bet most of us are trying to be happier, more productive, more successful, accomplish our vision, whatever it is. Tony Robbins is somebody I'm really inspired by, and maybe I'm sounding like him right now. I can only wish. But he says that every human needs that really makes humans happy is progress. And so what is it, you know, you get up at the beginning of the day and that motivation might be hard to find, but the moment you feel a sense of progress, that is the wind in our sails and that's the energy that makes us go. And so if you treat yourself as a science experiment for you, you have to have a certain amount of coffee every day. Me too. <laughs> so I, I just want to encourage everybody to do little tests, you know, one, change one variable at a time. That's a very audio test kitchen of me to say that. <laughs> and see what works for you and see what doesn't work for you and just do your best if you want to accomplish a vision do your best to stop doing the things that you've identified as things that keep getting in your way and do your best to do the things that you've identified as the things that make making progress easiest Hey, our friends over at DistroKid have created the DistroKid app for Android, which allows you to do some key things such as check your stats from Apple and Spotify, edit release metadata, upload new releases, and a host of other features. And remember, WCA listeners get 30% off your first year at DistroKid. And if you just head on over to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30, you can follow the link, get your 30% off, and be off to the races. So check our friends out at DistroKid and make sure and get your 30% off by going to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30. You know, the exercise thing you brought up, that also, I have to admit, it got cold and rainy and here in the Bay Area and my usual walk around my uh, local reservoir, which is like about a three mile walk, I stopped doing it going, ah, it's raining a little bit. I'm not going out there. Oh, it's too cold. I'm not going out there. And so the exercise came to a halt in December and the motivations or lack of motivation started to appear. And so I am right there. And with, you got sick. And I got sick. Right. So Dude, I that exact same thing happened to me in November. I didn't exercise for two weeks and I got super sick and I had no motivation. Yeah. And it, it's a killer too. And my wife came home from work yesterday and she said, Hey, I'm going to go just take a walk in the neighborhood. You want to come with me? And I was half tempted to say no. And I was like, you know what? I need to go. And part of the reason I had to go, and this is stupid, but is because of my Fitbit. I got a Fitbit from my family for Christmas and I compete with the other members of the family. And so when you see other- Wait a second, a minute ago, you said, don't compare yourself to others. Well, <laughs> that's true, but 
that sense of competition of, oh man, I can't be sitting around on my butt. I have to do my own thing. So I was like, okay, yeah, I got to get out there and I got to walk. And I got to say, after just taking a simple walk, like it was like a 5,000, 6,000 step walk, an audio company or starting a studio or whatever it is. It's transformative for your brain. I mean, I read studies about this all the time, about what happens to your brain when you exercise. And it's so crazy. I don't know if it's the breathing or what, but minutes into my exercise, whatever it is I'm doing, all of a sudden, my, like the stuff just starts flowing and things that were blocked become unblocked and ideas I wasn't even trying to brainstorm on, all of a sudden they're just like coming out at me with zero effort. So I think that I'm encouraging everybody to find their own unique formula because we're all different. But I would wager that what we all have in common is the need to move and all the physiological response and benefit that happens when you do that. And you know, if it's raining or if it's like cold out or whatever, I one thing that I try to do that helps me is I, I try to remember what it was like to be a kid where it didn't matter if it was raining out. And if it was cold, I would go out and throw that football and run around in the backyard. And when I caught that football, my hands would sting because <laughs> they were so cold and it was numb. And I'd come back in and my mom would have to deal with, you know, all my wet, muddy clothes. But if you can tap into a little bit of that and just remember that you are still that kid and just go out there, get dirty, get sweaty that is your being. I think it's really easy, especially if we're sitting in the studio, engineering, working on music. That takes so much more of a sedentary focus, you know, where you're like in a place and it's more of an activity of the mind. We've got to balance that out with giving a chance for our bodies to move because it's not a separate thing. Our, our mind needs our body to move. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned uh, Tony Robbins a minute ago. I think that there is something to be said for there's a lot of motivational type folks out there and they come in varying degrees of cheeseballness and some of them are not appealing to a lot of our brothers and sisters in the recording community and some of them are and you know there's the Gary V's and the Tony Robbins and Lewis Howes oh I don't know Lewis yeah, yeah. He's got an amazing podcast called The School of Greatness. Ooh. Let me just interject real quick and we can come back to this. A big part of what enabled me to take a leap and, and uh, start my company was the teachings and learnings and inspiration I got from listening to podcasts. Lewis Howes was definitely a big part of that. Matt, I get inspiration from you and your guests. And I just want to say that, of course, not every voice out there is going to appeal to everybody. You know, some people might hear Tony Robbins and roll their eyes or Gary Vee and be totally turned off. And that's okay. And, and you know, Matt, for you, when you're comparing yourself to other podcasters and, and other content creators, of course, you're not going to appeal to everybody but you are totally speaking to your audience and there are people out there who need what you do, you and your voice. Mm. And that goes for all of us. The product that I've created, maybe it's not for everybody. I mean, how could it possibly be? I guess we can't all be the iPhone, but you know, <laughs> of course, not everybody loves the iPhone. Some people are Android people. So, but if you take just about any, there's so many voices that are available to us now. There's so many products available to us now. Why are there 450 large diaphragm condenser microphones? Why do we need all those? Why do we need 
all these YouTubers and podcasters, it's, it's because they have a unique voice and they have a unique audience that will get value and, and be inspired by their voice. How did you think up Audio Test Kitchen? Where did the seed for that come from? So I'm an engineer and a, and a record producer by background. And so I personally have bought and sold a lot of gear. And then when I was helping folks at Vintage King make their own purchase decisions, I just found it really, really painful that here I am on the phone or on the other end of an email trying to help people answer these questions. Like just what does that gear sound like? It was a problem of access. And I just found it Matt, I feel such a deep obligation and sense of responsibility when someone asks for my help to truly provide them with help. And so there I was put in this role as a salesperson with Vintage King, and you have a person on the other end of that line. And I identify with that. I put myself in their shoes and I, I wanted to help them realize the vision that they have in their head. But at that moment where they needed to know how this piece of gear sounds versus that piece of gear or this mic versus that mic, I was powerless to help them. So Audio Test Kitchen was born out of this really uncomfortable situation where I felt powerless to help people who needed what is really the fundamental, most important information about these products. How do they sound? And it seems odd to me that you have a whole industry built up. You've got, you know, gear manufacturers and distributors and retailers all saying, buy this, buy this, when they're not willing to provide you the most important proof point about the nature of the product, how it sounds. So Audio Test Kitchen is going to change all that. And we've, we've already begun. And the cool thing is actually manufacturers are quite willing. I mean, we got 54 manufacturers to send us 250 microphones. They are willing to demonstrate the performance and the value of the products that they've created. I mean, I, th I think it's incredible. And all the response that we've gotten so far has been like, yes, this is a problem in our industry. And thank you so much for doing this with microphones. And when are you going to do guitars? When are you going to do cymbals and drums and acoustic guitar tone wood and, and drum heads and pedals and you name it. So I personally experienced this pain point and my, everybody who's involved with Audio Test Kitchen and my co-founder, Ian Latke, he experiences pain point as a musician and writer and, and drummer and guitarist. And I would say like really Audio Test Kitchen, Matt, is solving a problem of access, access to information. And that information being sonic information presented in a neutral fashion. You know, when you first told me about this, I told you, I said, this is like consumer reports for pro audio. Yeah, I love that. I think a, an analogy that, that makes it really relatable is I'm sure that you've gone online before, say like Amazon, to buy a product. So imagine this. Imagine you go on to Amazon and on this day, there are no product images available. And your computer browser will not let you open a new tab and compare the product you're looking at to another product option. Well, that is what it's like every day right now for audio creators and musicians. They can't hear, they can't get the most important fundamental information about the product. How does it sound online? And they can't, they can't compare that sound to another product that they're considering. So Audio Test Kitchen has transformed all that. We started in one category, large diaphragm condenser microphones. We make it possible to do unbiased comparisons among every 
relevant product in a category and to get the sound information that you need to make a really confident decision. That's such a, a, an amazing thing to have access to. First of all, I've gone on numerous times and done some mic comparisons and checked it out. And man, there's just so many possibilities for the future of other products. And it really gives the customer such a, I don't know, man, it's, it's an amazing thing to have access to. Because if you don't have that sonic information to compare, you are completely at the mercy of the marketing plan of whatever company it is. And one company's marketing plan has far more dollars than some others. And, and you know what? Those words have lost their meaning. I mean, for one thing, this quote is often attributed to Frank Zappa, but it actually came out of like some a vaudevillian actor in the, in the 20s or 30s. And that is writing about music, or in this case, writing or talking about audio is like dancing about architecture. It's like, how do you, and we've done a, you know, our industry has worked really hard to describe sound and having one form of expression and communication describe another one can be successful. You can talk about a sound being airy or glassy or or hard. You know, th there's some adjectives that, that really do work, but it is a limited language set compared to the actual experience of sound or the or the the playing of an instrument, for example. So that's one place where the marketing language breaks down. But the other place that it breaks down is that there's no rules about what marketers can say and can't say. And so how can everything be warm and rich and fat and punchy and clear and open and dynamic and bright and sitting in the front of the mix all at the same time, you know? Exactly. Then some companies have leveraged their ability to manufacture cheaply in other countries versus another company who all this stuff is made all over the world. You don't know of its quality until you get your hands on it and use it. And sonically, you definitely have no clue. In fact, you might be influenced by the color or the, the look of the thing. And what I love about ATK is that it allows somebody to just dismiss all of that and use their ears and go, okay, this looks cool, but how does that compare to this mic that doesn't look as cool and is like $300 cheaper? It's so powerful. Thank you. And that is just one of the proof points that, that people may be interested in. I'm totally okay with each individual having their own, needing their own individual proof points. So say, for example, like somebody might really highly value the way a product looks and that's fine. Then choose a product based on how it looks. That's great. And we'll provide you high resolution, 360 degree images to check out. If what's important to you is, okay, well, which of my heroes are using this? Like does Ross Hogarth use the Royal Ribbon mic? Okay, well, that's good enough for me. I, you know, I love Ross Hogarth. Or what are its technical specifications? You know, what's its self noise? What's its frequency response curve? Or what does it sound like? What's it sound like on a female vocal? What's it sound like on a male vocal? What's it sound like on drums? All these are different proof points and individuals value their own individual things in their research process or at those moments of decision, whether they're, they're buying a product or they're deciding what thing to use to record in, in when they go to a, a session. And all of that is okay. At Audio Test Kitchen, our goal is to make all of those proof points easily available and comparable among 
products that are relevant to one another in a category. So if you're just starting out and you just want to know, oh yeah, you know, like I want to use the same mic that Beyonce sings into. Great. We can let you know. But let's say you're a deeply experienced veteran engineer and you're like, oh, I I hear that so-and-so company has come out with a clone of the U67 and I've always wanted to own one, but vintage one is sixteen, seventeen thousand dollars $17,000. What about this one for 6000 Does it sound like I want it to sound? You can get that proof point too. Yeah, it's an incredible thing that you, you guys have done. And I, and I look forward to seeing what else comes in the future. And for the audience, obviously, I'm going to include a link in the show notes to Audio Test Kitchen. If you haven't tried it out, you have to. It's definitely the future of buying. I think in the past, you mentioned Amazon. You know, I think a lot of us typically rely on reviews. And as time goes on, sometimes it's hard to tell if reviews are legit or not, especially on Amazon. But this kind of removes all that. It just takes everybody else out of the equation and puts you at the center of the decision-making process by letting you just listen to stuff in a real scientific way. I think the number one question I think that people give to me when I talk about it, Alex, is they're like, well, that's cool, but how did they like come up with the test to do all that? And is it really neutral? And can you talk just briefly about that, about how you, you got involved with a group of people who are into presenting the facts? Anyone who's wondering the degree to which they can trust the audio that they hear on Audio Test Kitchen or, or our measurements, like in our frequency response graphs, has every right to be skeptical of everything they've seen in the past. And so... Three years ago, when I decided to create this company and to pursue this vision for supplying people with this much needed resource, I first began by looking at what attempts to solve this problem, to make you know, sound comparisons available to people online, have been successful and in what ways have they failed. So we really cherry picked from the best of what had been done, but then imagined a, a new way to create and deliver that information. And us being recording engineers and producers and musicians and us, meaning it's, it's me and my co-founder, Ian Latke, and one of our head engineers is James Fluff Harley, Jesse Ray Ernster. We were all part of this kind of core group that began exploring how to best create content that would fully reveal the performance of this gear and make it so the comparisons would be totally unbiased, totally fair, and then make it so that those comparisons would be easy to do. So really, not only did we have to design a website and the user interface and stuff, but we very intentionally designed the content. So we thought about, I'll give you some examples. Since we started with the large diaphragm condenser microphone category, here's just some things that naturally come to mind. No matter the degree of experience you've had with microphones, what is the microphone's frequency response like? Meaning, is it bassy? Is it trebly? Is it mid-rangey? Okay, what's the character of of the treble? Is it is it sweet? Is it is it smooth? Is it airy? Is it is it harsh? So naturally, we had to record sounds that would 
reveal the low frequency, the mid-range and the high frequency performance of these microphones and, and the dynamics. What happens when you throw transient sources at these things in the highs, transient sources in the lows? What happens when you have a, a loud sustaining sound? And the cool thing is we thought, okay, well, we could put these through like different test tones or pink noise or, or have different stuff, but we decided we would build all the content that you hear on Audio Test Kitchen. All the tests are built around songs. So you can be listening to a song and actually be receiving tons of information about the product performances. So let me go into specifics. Here's an example, drums. Drums, you know, you've got a kick drum, totally amazing at, at showing you dynamics and low frequency performance and punch. So me as a record producer and an engineer and guy who loves recording drums and is loves working with drummers and tuning drums, I'm like, okay, we got to get a 26 inch bass drum and tune it really low. And it's going to have two heads on it. And it's going to be like super fat and ringy. And it's going to like totally show us what these microphones do in the low frequencies. And it's going to show us stuff about their dynamic performance and the way that they might saturate as you, as you hit them harder. And not only did we think of our own ideas about what kind of content can reveal the performance of these microphones, but we also, as we were inviting manufacturers to join us, we asked them, okay, well, what kinds of tests and what kinds of experiments do you do in, in your own product development process? So for example, Dusty Wakeman from Mojave said, oh man, well, we always do the tambourine test. If our mics fail the tambourine test, then you know we, we know we've got to go back to the drawing board. So through that conversation, we decided to add tambourine as one of the sources in Audio Test Kitchen. <laughs> and this gives me a, a great moment actually to talk about how did we maintain consistency? Because the whole foundation of doing audio comparisons requires that the source and the signal chain never change from microphone to microphone. So that means that the, the sound of the drum or the bass guitar or the piano or the vocal, and I'll get into that in a minute, cannot change. So that when you're comparing microphones, the only difference you'll hear is between those mics. So our process was analyzing every possible variable in the signal chain. And some of them maintaining absolute control over variables for something, a, a, you know, a living, breathing instrument like a drum is incredibly challenging. And we failed at it multiple times. In fact, we were sitting there at East West Studios five days in, we had a three-piece drum kit. We hired a renowned drum tuner named Ross, who's known as the drum doctor here in LA. Is that Ross Garfield? Yeah. Yeah. So Ross comes in with this beautiful tuned kit. We're five days in and we realize the drum tuning is subtly changing. Like we were monitoring it the whole time, but through our QC process, it was revealed to us that we were not maintaining absolute non-variability between these different drum takes. So there we are five days into recording drums at East West with a staff of 10 around us and surrounded by 250 mics, unboxed and ready to go and all staged out and markings on them ready to be laser aligned. And we realized that we hadn't completely, absolutely 100% controlled the variables between the drum takes and some subtle stuff had cropped up. And when we realized that we had to make a really hard choice, do we 
continue to be who we say we are, this company that that guarantees that when you're comparing products, the only difference you'll hear is between those products? Or do we come pretty close and go, (laughs) okay, you know, forget about these subtle differences, you know, put a disclaimer on the website. You may hear some subtle tuning differences between the drums, just ignore those. Well, the problem is, because in my experience as somebody who has actually run a lot of shootouts in various contexts, I have found that even the most subtle differences in performance or the sound of the source or the placement of the mic can be accidentally and wrongfully attributed to differences between those microphones that you're comparing. Even the best singer singing, quote unquote, identically every time, even putting two microphones in front of an acoustic guitar, there are differences between what those two microphones hear, either from performance or from placement. So we had to get rid of all that stuff. So my partner Ian and I, at that moment where we realized that the drums did not live up to that absolute non-variability in the source, and we had to throw away five days of work at East West, a staff of 10, all their work that they had put into it at a cost of of probably $20,000. Oh my God. And then that led us on a journey of trying to figure out how to record drums at all. And it took us two more studios and failing again to try to figure it out. And each time we failed, <laughs> it was it was expensive. It was and it was time consuming and it was really painful. And it was a sort of thing where it was like, is this worth it? Are we even doing this right? And didn't you ultimately come up with a mechanical way to hit the drums? Yeah. So failure is a, is a, an amazing teacher and hopefully you will learn something from it and help that guide you. Failure should definitely guide you to the, the path that does work. And so we had tried to record kick, snare, and hi-hat. We actually did have these little drum robots. They're called Perk. They're made by a really cool Polish company that does like boutique synth products. And so it's a it's a physical drum striker that is uh, you can program with MIDI, so it will hit the drum, very repeatable. But there's all these variables in the drums themselves, and even the distance that the perk might sit from that drum head that actually cause crazy, unacceptable shifts in the sound of these drums. So step one, we broke it down so that we were only recording one drum instrument at a time. And we started with metal. As you might imagine, metal, a cymbal, a tambourine, much less susceptible to our nemesis, which is actually changes in temperature in the room. Like a temperature change of as little as a degree or two will change the tuning of a drum head to the point where it throws it out of that range of consistency that we needed it to stay in. So we learned that the hard way in two studios. So metal, it turns out, much less susceptible to that. So we built our own hi-hat robot we used a perk, we used a latch lake stand, very, very sturdy, robust stand. One thing, Matt, that was a big lesson for us is that when you're trying to control all the variables, I mean, you really have to look at everything. You have to look at, like when we made these stands, we made a hi-hat robot, we made a, a tambourine robot, we eventually made a snare drum robot. Nothing can move, nothing can change. I mean, like that stand has to be locked in. So like. Latch Lake, for example, totally saved the day for us 
And we were able to make these things that once you found the spot, you'd lock it in. And after failing and spending so much money on recording drums and not getting the drum recordings to come out right at East West, we were fortunate to spend a week at Plastic Dog Studios, which is owned by my friend Colin Liebick, who also is part of BAE Audio and Mojave Audio and loudspeaker manufacturers. Anyway, he's totally like, I just, I love what you guys are doing. I totally believe in it. Come to my studio, experiment, go do your science experiment. Come, come to my studio, have, have fun, try to work it out. So we, that's where we developed this hi-hat robot technique and day one, microphone one, all the way through to day five, microphone number 250, absolutely no change in the sound of that hi-hat. And we had a DPA reference microphone in the exact same position the entire time. Gain never changed, position never changed. And we were able to, on every pass, verify that the hi-hat and then the tambourine was exactly the same on every take for every microphone. But to do that, that's five days per instrument. So, you know, we've got multiple people unboxing mics, marking them, laser aligning them, boxing them back up. So imagine doing that on every individual source. And you can imagine kind of the scale of what we were doing. And also we were to some degree figuring it out as we went, because you can go into a thing like this and go like, oh yeah, I think, you know, we'll be able to blah, blah, blah. But then a different reality hits you when you're faced with it. And it sucks when you've got a staff that you've hired looking over your shoulder and you're going, shit, it's not working. (laughs) You've got studio time you've booked and you're like, oh shit. Yeah. How many thousands of dollars did we just waste? Well, talk about self-doubt. I mean, I'm sure even that first five days at East West where you realized this is not to the level of detail that we expect, I'm sure you went through some serious soul searching right then and there because that's a lot of money man you know we were hoping we had a we had someone our friend jimmy dixon taking some videos and the moment that we decided to throw away twenty thousand dollars with the drum recordings i just said jimmy roll the camera because if one good thing comes out of this it will be having a record of of me and ian saying guys (laughs) we're throwing away the drums (laughs) (laughs) Like that's gotta be worth something to have that moment on camera. So I think that was like the one positive thing other than all the stuff that we learned. That was the one positive thing we took away from that. And hopefully there will be an audio test kitchen documentary someday. Well, it's research and development that has to be done, had to be done. And you had to go through those, those various failures. About a year and a half ago, I signed up for sampley.app. And I have to report back and say that I'm completely thrilled with it and it's working out quite well. It gives me the ability to upload mixes and masters to the website and provide a super pro looking interface for my clients. They can drop comments in the timeline. They can listen on any device. They can listen to it in high res. And if I want them to pay for the mix or master before they download it because of the Stripe integration, I can set that up. There's also Dropbox integration, which allows me to quickly create a folder in my Dropbox, which automatically syncs with Samply, makes it much more simple. You should check it out for yourself. 
But there's a deal to be had. So use the code WCA20. Go to Samply.app or Samply.app. Use the code WCA20, get 20% off, and you'll be off to the races. It's a fantastic tool that I think you're going to enjoy and will definitely make you look a lot more pro when you're delivering files to clients. Skip that whole business where you send it to them over Dropbox. That looks totally amateur at this point. Use Samply.app and use that code WCA20, and I think you're going to be really thrilled. Sampley.app. Check it out. Did you, at any point during the process of doing all this, was there an underlying fear that you had? Oh my God. I mean, fear of letting down the manufacturers who had trusted us to represent their products. Fear of letting down all the people who came to work for us at a super, super low <laughs> near volunteer level rate instead of charging their full engineering rate. Studios that gave us a break, studios like Plastic Dog and LA's Gold Diggers and, and then eventually Chris Lord Algae Studio who had invited us in because they believed in what we were doing and our mission. We even raised a little bit of money from friends and family and the idea of, you know, we went into East West, for example, a year ago with the intention of, of capturing all the sources we needed on the 250 mics. And we walked out of there only having captured three. It totally felt like a failure. How much more money is this worth? How much more time is this worth? And when it comes out, are people even going to care? Yeah. And it's it sucks when you get to that point where you realize your efforts are not producing the result that you want. And it, it's that moment of, do we stop what we're doing? Do we just can this or do we keep going? And that feeling of should I stay or should I go kind of concept is just, I can't imagine the sleepless nights you had or the heart palpitations or anxiety attacks you may have had. You know what? I think one of the biggest challenges is to know when to keep going and know when to keep pushing through an obstacle or to cry uncle, call for help, or to change direction. But we were talking earlier about motivation. There's multiple motivations it takes to take on something as big as, as what we're taking on. And I think it's really important that the people who rely on this equipment to express themselves and, and to achieve their artistic vision or to, to get a job done. I think we, and these folks that I'm describing, have a right to this information. And the challenge is that to do it right is a massive undertaking. So the motivation that I feel every day is to give people this right that I, I believe that we are all owed to deliver that information. Another motivation I feel every day is that like, hey man, I, I set out to build something and I, I don't want to feel like a failure. And also when you have a vision and you want to make something, whether that's a, a song or a, a product or a treehouse out back, there's this feeling I think that a lot of people have that is like, I want to accomplish that thing, that thing that I set out to do. And I want to complete my vision and whatever it is, whatever that motivation is that you need to find every day. I honestly don't know where it comes from sometimes. I mean, I'm trying to describe it right now and I, I, I swear, Matt, it's, it's just, it, sometimes it escapes me. Yeah. What is, why am I doing this? Yeah. I just don't even know why some days I, and some days I'm just like, I don't feel like doing this at all. Nobody cares. Do I care? Is this the right thing to do? Yeah. Is there something else I should be doing with my time? It, I think we touched on it earlier. 
it can challenge your when when you're faced with adversity whenever you're making a record or creating a, an audio company or any of these tasks when you're faced with any kind of adversity man it's not for the timid and if you are timid you have to get over it really fast you have to figure out like like you said the trick is is figuring out when do we call it quits here when do we recognize that this is a losing battle and it's hard because you could be on like if you guys had given up after East West, it wouldn't have happened, obviously. And those of us who are seeing the value in Audio Test Kitchen, I think all of us would be like, well, that was a great idea, but it didn't pan out. And we all would not be the beneficiaries of you guys pressing on and, and making more mistakes and screwing it up until you got it right. And the good news is, is you figured out how to do it right. And you figured out how to do it well so that the next time you go for it, all that money and all those lessons learned are really going to benefit us all, especially when you move into other products that we all can compare. So kudos to you for continuing on because I, I don't know if, if I could have pressed on. And I think convincing the, the people around you that have supported you financially, put money into the pot to try to see this thing through, that's a hard thing to go back to people and say, yeah, we just blew 20 grand and we didn't get right get it right. Those people are going to get frustrated with you and especially if you fail again and again and again. Well, here's here's the cool thing. We are primarily a, a self-funded endeavor and I mean we're talking like savings and second mortgages and all that and and a little bit of help from friends and family too, which is super critical, but the best part about that is is this sense of support, this belief. If somebody writes you a check at this stage in the game, they're not like Hey, I want to see a 10x return on my investment, blah, blah, blah. It's the coolest thing. I've One of the coolest things I've ever experienced. Alex, I believe in you. Go do your vision. Yeah. So wherever that motivation comes from, the important thing is to figure out how to keep going. Because what I've learned in this process more than ever in my life is when you keep going, even if you don't know how, you're going to solve that problem or break through pick up the phone, call somebody, talk about it, have a meeting, talk with your partner, your girlfriend, your wife, your, your husband, your business partner, your advisors, just keep going. And what happened to us was that when we kept going and we had the courage to reach out for help, that's when we had the breakthroughs. So for example, we had this problem. I'll go to the drum example. We had failed at East West. We had failed at gold diggers. And then one of our advisors, Phil Wagner, this incredible guy who's in our industry, been president of Solid State Logic, Focusrite, Apogee, now back at Solid State Logic. I said, hey, Phil, you know, by the way, we've got to send all these mics back. And this is our last window in which to record these drums that we've failed at three times. And he said, I might know a guy. Well, that guy turned out to be Chris Lord Algae. And coincidentally, at Chris's studio, he's got two studios, a Studio A and a Studio B. And Studio A is actually the, the larger tracking room. And he's got Studio B, which has the larger mixing room, which is his primary activity. And in the larger, the larger tracking room was a famous room called Can-Am that was built in the early 80s by a studio designer named Vincent Van Hoff. And so it's this beautiful space with lots of different angles and all wood floors and wood walls. And Phil and Chris Lord Algie are close friends. And I've known Chris a bit throughout the years. And when Chris heard about what we were doing, 
Chris is really into giving back right now. So he's had such a huge career. He's traveling all around the world, helping educate people. And, and Chris is like, you know what? What Audio Test Kitchen is doing is all about giving back. It's all about information and, and learning and teaching. I'm totally behind you guys. And so coincidentally, the very day that Phil asked Chris if we could come into his studio, he said, you know what? The guy who had been renting my studio for 10 years is moving out next week. <laughs> and you guys can come and work in my studio for as long as you want. <laughs> wow. So all of a sudden we're in one of the best studios, classic LA studio, Can-Am. Chris's studio name is Mix LA. And so he just opened his doors to us and set up a Keurig machine and said, here's as much coffee as you want. You guys do your thing, bring in your mics, your lasers, happy to help however I can. So then we were able to finally nail our kick drum recording. And we thought we were finally nailing our snare drum recording, but actually we failed on snare drum. We never did get snare drum right. And one of the things that anybody who's used Audio Test Kitchen or is considering it may be asking themselves, they may be asking themselves, well, are these real recordings or did you guys just, are you doing like a mic modeling thing like all these guys? Are you just taking impulse responses? Well, the answer is 99%. It's all real recordings. Here's a mic in front of a thing that's moving air. It's a drum, it's a piano, it's a electric guitar or bass amp. It's a tambourine rattling off in the room played by a robot. But in the case of the snare drum, we could not get that thing to behave. We could not master the variables. And so, <laughs> I mean, it took forever for us to concede. And we spent five weeks at Chris Lord Algae's studio trying to get snare drum to be consistent and to behave. And we ultimately failed. So when you hear snare drum on, on Audio Test Kitchen, you actually are hearing an impulse response of every microphone on one snare sample and snare room sample. And that was the only way that we could maintain the consistency in that wild, crazy living instrument called snare drum. Yeah, the snare drum is a, is a magical beast, that's for sure. I can't even imagine the frustration that you guys went through to get it right. But how did you solve the vocal problem? So one of our biggest problems to solve was to figure out how to have vocals be totally consistent on every one of the 250 mics. And it's like, what do you do? Have somebody sing 250 identical performances? Well, that we actually did a small test and not 250, but we tried experiments to see if that was even possible. And we did that with acoustic guitar. And as much as I wanted it to be the case, Matt, that we could do that, it was not working and we were hearing differences in the performance, which can of course be wrongly attributed to differences in the performance of the microphone. So it was suggested to us by a couple of manufacturers actually, and then a couple of very highly respected audio engineers, like my friend and collaborator, James Harley, Dan Corniff. They were like, do the vocal reamp thing, dude, just try it. So the way that we did that, I'll try to make this brief. The concept is bottle the source. So take a super high resolution measurement grade microphone or the best microphone you can possibly get that's totally neutral, totally transparent, record in an anechoic chamber so that there's no acoustic artifacts, and then have that, that performance that you've just bottled and represented with absolutely no change, hopefully, and have it be re-sung through a speaker. So we actually spent months figuring out this process. And just to make a long story short, 
after experimenting with dozens of loudspeakers and, and microphones and getting these different combinations, we got to the point where 90%, we were 90% there. Like you could still tell the difference between a reamplified vocal and one that was live. And we thought, okay, well, well, maybe that's it. At least the source will never change. So you have one performance through one speaker and every mic goes in front of that speaker and at least it'll be consistent. So that's good, right? Well, this is a great example of just pressing on. And we thought to ourselves, we need an anechoic chamber. We need like real scientists to help us here. And so we're in the Los Angeles area and not far from the center of town is the headquarters of Harmon International. They have in so many ways written the book on audio research and having product development be driven by research. And it's headed by Dr. Sean Olive and his colleagues, Todd Welty, Omid Kansarapur, Dan Pai. And we had a moment, it was just after Last Nam, where we actually got ourselves on a tour out there at, at Harmon. And you could go through, they have like a little Harmon Experience Center. And our tour guide was like, well, do you want to see the chambers in the back? And we we're like, yes, because maybe we'll run into Dr. Olive and his colleagues and we can pitch them on our idea and maybe they'll let us in and, and, and they'll help us. And so lo and behold, we're walking back through the, the lab and we run into face-to-face -face this exact team of researchers. We open the laptop. Here's what we're up to guys. Here's a little demo that we made and, and here's our vision. And we've already got all the microphones and here's the problem we're trying to solve. We, we want to make a vocal performance that's captured and then resung through a speaker sound identical to a live vocal performance in, into each one of these large diaphragm condenser mics. And I'll never forget this moment. Dr. Olive looked at me and he said, this is interesting. I think we might like to help you. And so the researchers at Harman invited us in to use their anechoic chambers. And we were in there doing research for several weeks and then in there for another few weeks, capturing content. And we developed with their help this process. We had already had the, the, the basic elements of it, but then we put a Dynamount robot in front of the speakers and we found the sweet spot even to a higher degree. We were able to use this an artifact-free environment or the anechoic chamber. And we closed that gap. You know, it's often hardest to go from 90% to 100% or 95 to 100%, that, that last percentage is oftentimes the most expensive and the most time consuming. But we got there. We got to the point where in a blind comparison, you couldn't tell which one was live and which one was the reamped vocal. Wow. And to, to get the help of some serious brain power, like the folks you're talking about, that was a score. It was huge. There's a phrase that when I was working at Slate, I was the vice president up at Slate and I would every day I'd run into Howie Weinberg because he had a studio in, this, in the same facility as Slate. And Howie would say to me, don't ask, don't get, which is what his mom would say to him. So I say that to my kids, you know, if you, if you don't ask, you don't get. This is just the most pure, obvious example of, hey, we needed some help. We needed some big time major league help. And you know, who are we? We're, we're nobody. And they've got everything. They've got everything we need. They're not going to care. Why would they care? How can we even like get in front of them? And so if anybody listening now has a thing that they're imagining or picturing or like, if I could only get an internship with so-and-so, if I could only get such and such client, you are that person. 
the person who has that gig now or who has that access now, they didn't always have that access. They were aspiring. And you know, you're, you're not the thing until you're the thing. You can't play piano until you learn how to play piano. You can't go work in Harmon's Anacoke Chamber until you go through the steps to like talk to the right people and make the right pitch and get the right ideas and ask. If, if there's one thing that is important about going out and fulfilling a vision and pursuing that vision, it is just put it out there and ask. No's are okay. Not everybody is going gonna, is gonna to agree. Not everybody's going to want to help. Not everybody will be in the position to help. But if you don't ask, you can't ever possibly have the chance to receive the help that you need. That's a very good lesson and a very good endpoint for our discussion. If you need something in the universe, you have to go out there and seek it and ask for it. So what are your final thoughts on, on all of this, Alex? You know, we are really mission-driven. We have a really strong belief that this kind of information is a right. You know, why should people expect you to make decisions about your art and where you spend your money if they're not willing to supply the fundamental information that you need to make a decision about these products. And we believe that the fundamental thing is, is the sound when it comes to audio gear and, and musical instruments. So Audio Test Kitchen's vision is to make it so that wherever you go, you're on a manufacturer's site, you're on a retailer's site, you're on our website, you're on a blog, you can always get reliable, unbiased, cross-comparable product information that you know is done to the highest standard. And I mean, this is all driven by real, these are real world problems. You know, I am a real person, Matt, you are a real person, a person who needs to record a thing with a microphone or an audio interface or a speaker has a real thing that they're trying to do. And it just seems so simple to us. I mean, isn't it logical that in a time when it is, the delivery system is there, we know we can deliver high quality audio over the internet. Anybody who's got an internet connection can receive it. So it's Audio Test Kitchen's job to create that resource and make it accessible to everybody out there. Yeah, well, I think that it's not only a noble venture that you're on, but it's super cool what you're doing because it's just, it's different. It's different than things that we've had in the past. And, and it, like I've said before, this is going to be the new way to shop in the future as, as this grows. So large diaphragm condenser mics, that's just the beginning. So I, I look forward to seeing what you move on to next. We're stoked. There's so much that we can do with this. Yeah. It's audiotestkitchen.com. Obviously, the link will be in the show notes, folks. So check that out. Alex, it's great to talk with you, man. Unbeknownst to the audience, we have the occasional chit chat just over the phone. And I always get really inspired after talking with you. I appreciate the conversation and I look forward to uh, running into you at NAM. And I hope those people that hear the show this upcoming week while NAM is going on get the same kind of inspiration that I get from you from this episode. Thank you, man. I, I'm totally inspired by you. <laughs> I, I totally am. I'm inspired by you and you and I and everybody in, in this audience. We're all just people with our visions and our, our dreams. And I just, we're a community. And man, Matt, you and, and the guests that you bring on, 
you're the wind in my sails when I need it. And I, I mean that, I mean that totally sincerely. It is the mutual admiration society, I will say. <laughs> and hey, anybody who's at NAM, if you know we're recording this NAM 2020, I hope that this podcast lives on and is and if you're listening to this in 2024 or 2035, welcome to the future. Um, but if you're listening to it right now, real time and it's NAM 2020, look for Audio Test Kitchen will be on the floor. I'm the tall guy, about 6'4", wearing the white and red checkered apron. That's like I'm wearing like an Italian tablecloth in the form of a kitchen apron. So look for Alex ready to take your order. (laughs) (laughs) Cooking up all the tender vittles and tasty num-nums. Thank you, Matt. Excellent. All right, Alex. Once again, audience, audiotestkitchen.com. Thanks for uh, listening to Alex and I wax poetic about all things audio and motivation and tapping back into what Alex said earlier. Eat your spinach and get your exercise. Thanks for listening. Alex Awana here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Thanks so much for being here with me today. I certainly appreciate it. Our friends over at Cali Audio have just introduced the brand new LP UNF system, which is meant to give you everything you need from a studio monitor in a package that you can basically set up anywhere. And the system is specifically designed for your desk. So no matter how else you're using your desk, reflections from the drivers to the desk to your ears are accounted for, giving you a perfectly clear picture of your mix that you can rely on to translate well. Whether you're putting them on stands behind your desk, on a desk away from walls, on a desk against a wall, on a desk on speaker stands away from the walls, there's a number of configurations and they have settings on the back to accommodate all of that and more. And if price is a concern, never fear. They're priced at $299. That's right, pretty affordable. Head on over to caliaudio.com and check out the new LPUNF. Want to thank everybody that helped out with the show, including Anne-Marie Plo on the editing, Cliff Truesdale on the Working Class Audio theme music, and the magical voice of Mr. Chuck Smith there at the beginning. As I always say, spread the word, tell all your friends in pro audio and those that aren't even in pro audio. Maybe they'll come and join us. And uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. Send me a message if you care to do so. And uh, that's it. Until next time, take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like, and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life, many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on gearspace.com. So check that out.